Greetings, I'm Connor Fowler. And I'm Matt Smith. And you are now listening to Apocalypse Duds. We are joined today by NYU Costume Studies Master Student, founder of the Combat Threads newsletter, military collector, Olive Drab Daddy. <laughs> hey guys, how's it going? Eh, good, Charles. Thanks. How are you today? Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm hanging in there. I'm kind of like deep in... Uh, in thesis writing uh, mode right now. So this is kind of like a nice little little break for me, honestly. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it's pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. What, uh, like, is is the weather helping you, like, spend some time just indoors <laughs> doing your shit, or? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean... It could really be any weather right now uh, yeah. for the way I'm feeling. Um, I wish it was a little bit warmer, obviously. I'm up here in New York and it's kind of just been like a, a false winter all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like like New York has not gotten nearly the amount of snow that you're going to expect in New York City. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like it was so mild and then all of a sudden it kind of like snapped a little bit. And it's like it's still not that bad, but, right, you know. Right, right. Just you got uh, that fall spring, and now it's like, like tail end of winter kind of bullshit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Also um, known as March, which is the best month. <laughs> we can agree to disagree on that, but I, I can feel it. I can feel it. Uh, so, Charles, let's start at the beginning. Um, so, you said you're in New York uh, now, but where are you from? Um, so I'm from, uh, like, the Upper West Side of New York. Um, oh, shit. Okay. And right across the river um, in Jersey, too. So I kind nice. of split my time growing up between those two places. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. And how old are you, just out of curiosity? Oh, my God, wait. How old am I? I just turned 29. Sorry. 29. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, like, going to NYU, being in the city, is not really all that much different for you. Like, Yeah. I mean, I graduated undergrad in 2016. Um, came back down to the city and yeah, I, you know, I was working, uh, I come from kind of more of like a journalism background with like a little sprinkling of, you know, fashion stuff okay. as well. Um, and then COVID hit, lost my job, um, which was great, honestly. Um, <laughs> it was a job that I didn't like very much. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like, well, that's really now or never as far as going to going back to school and it kind of just all worked out. Yeah, and here I am, three years later, finishing up this program. <laughs> That's fucking awesome, man. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. I feel like we all know what it is like when a job is just like, yeah, this is ending, and you're kind of like, okay, awesome. Thankfully. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was like truly the best time to like lose one's job, right? Like kind of like right at like the the height of COVID when like unemployment was at its like max, you know, and right. being in Did New York already. Yeah, because I mean, oh, I was yeah. working. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was I was working like an office job, so like I had, I had unemployment, and New York was much easier to get unemployment than other states too, which was great. Sure. Um, so that really, you know, yeah, that was. It, it could have been a hell of a lot worse, that's for sure. Yeah. Nice. And uh, when and why did you start collecting militaria? Yeah. Um, oh man. I mean, basically for as long as I can remember. Is probably like the, the best answer. Um, 
you know, when I was growing up, my parents, we would like drive around, uh, like, you know, we'd go on like a road trip or whatever, um, go down South a little bit, go up North, whatever. And I kind of learned at a very young age, I, I couldn't read yet, but I knew that the cannon sign meant that there was a civil war battlefield nearby. <laughs> uh, so I would usually request a stop around, around that. Um, and so that's the, yeah. So it definitely started pretty early. Um, my parents didn't really know what to do with me. I don't really come from kind of like a military background at all as far as like family. Um, and they were kind of just, you know, as weirded out as uh, anybody else. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. They, they were trying to, uh, yeah, they, they were trying to try, try to figure that out. And, but they were totally supportive. Um, and then around, I guess yeah, I was growing up and then, sorry, I'm kind of meandering a little bit. Um, there was a surplus store in Patterson, New Jersey called S4 Surplus. And I started going there probably when I was, you know, again, probably around like seven or eight. And, you know, became good friends with the owners. My parents did as well. And um, probably when I was around 12, they were like, hey, like, there's this guy. I, I came in one day. There's this guy here. And he does this thing called reenacting. Hell yeah. Uh, you should you should talk to him. And uh, yeah, so then I, <laughs> I talked to this guy. He said there was this big reenactment at Fort Indian Town Gap, Pennsylvania, right around my birthday. So uh, we went out there and that's when I really started like collecting properly because, you know, like any, like any good reenactment, there was a, a flea market involved as well. Of course, um, of course. And so that's when I really started collecting. That's when I started getting into, you know, World War II in a really earnest way. And uh, when I started reenacting as well. So it's right around that time. So do you still oh. do reenactments? I, I do actually. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes more of a form of, um, of research, honestly, like research and writing um, right, with right. the guys who I, I reenact with. I mean, COVID really hasn't helped that either. We kind of like decided to take a little bit of like a sabbatical, maybe the year before COVID. And then COVID kind of just extended it longer. Um, so really, we've just been focusing a lot of our attention on on researching and hitting the archives and uh, yeah, kind of like that side of things. Um, but yes, I still do do reenactment, yeah. yeah. So like when you started collecting, that was that was kind of like in my experience the tail end of the golden age of like surplus stores being insane. Like you know, yeah, <laughs> it, it's funny you say that because um, you know, I I've been doing a lot of research obviously for my my thesis, and I came across this article recently from uh, I think it's like 1971, and it's talking about how none of the surplus stores have any good stuff anymore. Oh, yeah. what? <laughs> and what? really like. It really makes you think, right? Um, but that's it does. How it, is, it totally right? does. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the, like, the grass, grass is always greener. always sucks. The, they're so <laughs> yeah. lazy, you know. Everybody's fucking lazy. Nobody wants to work anymore. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's really one of those things, too, where it's like, you know, it's so hard to wrap your head. I'm not really answering your question. Sorry. But uh, it's so hard to, uh, like, wrap your head around, like, just the, the, the quantity of stuff that was surplused right. after World War II and, you know, subsequently, you know, like, it's just, you know, it, it's such an astronomical figure, um, you know, like, I, you know, I can actually tell you, like, right now, here, one second. Gonna, uh, <laughs> yeah, one, play one, the clip, sure. Yeah, 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 just give it, yeah, sorry, I have this pulled up somewhere. No, no, um, we're please yeah so like you know in february of 1946 so this is just this is you know very soon after the war they had already dumped 
40 million dollars worth of clothing holy shit Forty million dollars I mean, in forties dollars. Oh. Yeah, and like remember, that's like you know, that's also uh, that's the that was the value to the government, not right. what they were being sold for. So, right. I mean, yeah, but yes, I mean, just an insane quantity of uh, an insane quantity of uh, of clothing. Really, just yeah. being, I mean, amongst other things, right? You know, from like trucks to uh, you know, medicine to false teeth to uh, you know, super eight film, you know, all this stuff, you know, is just like dumped on the, on the market beer too. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, it was, but I, I get what you're saying though. Right. You know, it, it, it definitely seemed like a, you know, kind of a more abundant time, but you know, the stuff is still out there. You, know, oh, you totally, can still go totally. hunting for it. Um, yeah. I'm sure I mean, if you know I, that, you know, I shop at a lot of surplus stores still and like there's plenty of shit still available uh but when i was growing up like buying clothes to play paintball in it was mm -hmm. like you know woodland camo or all vietnam or earlier olive drab and it's like like i wish i could go yeah. back in time to that but there's there's still like like you said so much shit that still comes yeah, out to the i'm state. gonna sound like such an old head right now but like I never thought I was going to see the day when like OG 107 stuff was like, you know, going over like 40 bucks. Oh, same you know? here. Same here. Like, you know, the trout, like, you know, yeah. I mean, finding trousers in like bigger sizes now, it's like good luck. Um, right. But, you know, I've, you know, when I was coming up too, it's like, you know, 41 jackets, you know, they weren't exactly easy to find, but they weren't hard either. You right. know, they were kind of like, you know, they're out there. You were going to pay like maybe like, you know, 150 bucks, you know, but, uh, yeah, now those things are, you know, it's getting rare and rare. But anyway, yeah, yeah, uh, what, the minutia of it all. <laughs> <laughs> what, That's what Charles, it's about. What do you That's remember? the point of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it totally is. Like this is these are the conversations that we like to have on here because it like, you know, it shows a different side of things than your regular connoisseur can, like can find on the internet like, yeah yeah weird. i mean i think you know overall i'm like pretty critical of people who kind of like go on and on about how like how much better the old days were or kind of right. you know, how abundant right. certain things were um you know when like you know the stuff is you know i don't know i i it's it's interesting you know I, i've become much more serious about like you know tr tracking down stuff and like you know really like constantly scanning you know ebay depop poshmark like whatever right and like just to kind of see like these kind of like little floods of of products that kind of seem to like just congregate you know like i've just noticing the past like few weeks or maybe few months like p44 jackets like i've never seen so many hitting the market yeah you know and it's just like kind of one of those weird things right where it's like this is just a little like bump um yeah. but it just goes to prove that this stuff is still out there and still changing hands and, and, you and know, also the fact that like a lot of it isn't quote unquote rare, like that's a <laughs> word that I hate using. Um, but a lot of these things were made in the millions, if not tens of millions. Yeah, have been around for nearly eighty years, give or take. And so it's like, okay, this shit is still is still changing hands. There's still plenty of it to be found. Yeah, I mean, if I remember correctly, I think, like, the stats on, like, the M43 field jacket as far as, like, numbers produced by the end of the war 
it's somewhere around like 17 million. Yeah. Right. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, speaking of another thing that's kind of gotten, you know, kind of harder to find in, uh, in different sizes and also just, you know, as the internet has totally reshaped the way people collect and the way people buy and what they look for, you know, like there's been a real like upswing, I think, in people really caring about like the specs on the 43 jacket. And like, I, it can be attributed to like, you know, um, actually like a few of, a few friends of mine who've done a lot of research on the 43 jacket and have published in like very, you know, niche communities, you know, mostly reenacting about, you know, the different specs of the field jacket um but that's really changed the way like people market the jackets they're selling and also the way people are buying them so you know yeah it's just the stuff is always evolving uh what do you remember your first like quote-unquote real purchase being as far oh as yeah sure collection? yeah i mean i was thinking about this question and i was having such a hard time because i just you know again it's a whole life of collecting but um i would say that the first thing I like really remember like being like, I, I gotta have this thing. And, you know, I was lucky enough to, to get it from my, my parents got it for me was a, um, like a real relic. It was a, um, <laughs> it was a, uh, if I remember correctly, it was like a revolutionary war, uh, like musket, basically like completely like rusted and pitted out. Like it, it was recovered, I think probably from the bottom of a lake or something. Um, and I still have that thing somewhere, but it's like, you know, it was a wall piece, but that was like the first, like, you know, this is the, this is the first thing I, you know, I really remember being like, you know, this is the thing I got to have. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I had a weird relationship with military when I was a boy too. Um, and I was just kind of finding like stuff in the thrift store. And if it was like olive drab, then I was buying it. You know, I didn't have a super sophisticated understanding of it when I was like a boy or whatever, but it was really formative. I think I had like an olive drab t-shirt that I would like try to wear over and over again. And my mom was like, you can't wear it every day. Totally. <laughs> and I was like, but the men in black have a uniform and this is simply my uniform. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I feel like, you know, I was collecting from a really young age, but that stuff didn't really kind of start to like enter my personal style until like, I guess probably like really until like high school. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of like a, you know, as far as like, you know, my own personal style, I, I really didn't really like hit until high school, which I guess is probably the same for most people. Um, but that's kind of when I started to like, you know, bring some of that stuff that I was collecting kind of into my wardrobe. Um, yeah. I really liked grunge. And so mm. in my like attempts to ape Kurt Cobain, like I had like a woodland camo field jacket and I had this like pink terry cloth cardigan that I wore, you know. It's about the wearing pink and camo together. Like that that I think is a good aesthetic. Yeah. I literally just bought a uh a pink shirt recently for the first time in a long time with that very kind of same thought in my head of like, oh, you know, this would look really good with a lot of my, my olive drab. It, <laughs> and it does. It does. I was it always does. told that I can't have pink skin and wear the color pink. I beg to differ. I've been doing it recently and I think that it's fine. Um, <laughs> so I was going to ask you to kind of uh, provide a little 
superstructure to the discussion. Sure. Um, if you could run through briefly the modern American military civilian clothing complex, right, which you talk about, uh, I guess, in a, in a lot of your work. Yeah, I mean, that, that's very much at the heart of like, you know, what my what my thesis is, um, like what my thesis will be discussing. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, for the sake of this conversation, like, like you know, let's kind of start this conversation um, in World War Two. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. I think one can, you know, make arguments for going back further. But as far as, you know, my research is concerned, that, you know, that's where it starts. Um, and really, like, you know, immediately after World War Two, you know, kind of per our conversation we were just having, there's a, a heck of a lot of stuff, you know, on the market um, that's being dumped into the into the market. You know, surplus stores basically just, you know, sprout up overnight. Um, and all of a sudden, all this clothing is available uh, to the civilian population. And you see it like really immediately entering, um, you know, like what I would call, you know, in a more kind of academic, kind of popular fashion, or kind of just you know the things that people on the street wear, right? Mm -hmm. Not not high fashion, right? The uh, the thing that you know the, the mass wear, right? Um, sure. And you see it like you know, yeah, basically right away, mostly on college campuses, mostly on the backs of uh, of veterans who have returned from the war and are now taking advantage of the GI Bill, which you know for our listeners if they don't know you know one of the largest expansions of you know uh, actually probably the largest expansion of uh, higher education um benefits in this country and you know, really enabled a whole generation of of young people to go to go to college um and that kind of basically you know the government's paying for veterans to go to school right after world war ii um and you see a lot of them wearing pieces of their uniform um then you know through the 1950s and 19 you know into the early 1960s you know it kind of recedes into a little bit more of both like a working class uniform you know a lot of a lot of you know fishermen and uh, you know mm -hmm. sportsmen are gonna you know are wearing surplus a lot of you know more industrial laborers are wearing surplus um, and then also still like college students you know college students kind of hitting the local surplus store looking for you know for fun stuff to wear, basically. Um, in that period, it's actually on the college side, it's mostly women who are, who are wearing a lot, a lot more surplus than men, at least, you know, kind of in popular uh, media reporting. And then, you know, into the late 1960s, into the early 1970s, uh, you see a lot of military surplus kind of adopted by different counterculture movements um, as, you know, part of their, you know, everyday uniform or part of their personal style. Um, and this, you know, I think it's linked to a few different things. I think something that, you know, kind of overlooks sometimes with that is, you know, it really is, you know, trying to opt out of, you know, the kind of the capitalist consumer culture of the U.S. in the 1960s, right? You know, really like taking Buy yourself shit. out. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, like kind of like taking yourself out of the, the world of fashion, right? Um, or, you know, consumerism. Mm -hmm. And you know, and then basically starting into the, into the 1980s, you know, kind of goes a little bit more mainstream, you know, brands like Banana Republic, you know, starting in the 1980s, they really bring surplus to like a more like yuppie, <laughs> yuppie class of, uh, of consumer. Um, yeah. And that's kind of, yeah, that's the span of my research really on, on this topic. So I hope that kind of gives you kind of a little, little overview. We can get into uh, whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. That was like, that was exactly what we what we were looking for. <laughs> uh, so the next thing that I would get into is your piece for standardandstrange.com 
about sure. military influence on American collegiate style. I will say mm-hmm. one, the first thing that really, really stuck out to me uh, was, as we have discussed a little bit, the post-war clothing shortage, which yeah. like when you are hearing about post-war America, you're hearing about prosperity. You're hearing about abundance. You're hearing about like everyone has a car. Everyone has a, a few cars, whatever. And that doesn't really seem to be true. Or at least in some places. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just one of these kind of, you know, if, if any student of history, like, will kind of, like, find these kind of small things that, you know, these things that kind of get lost to time, right? You know, like, the, the period of the clothing shortage was very short, you know, kind of in, in the, the, the sweep of things, right? It kind of really comes right as World War II is ending and basically, like, you know, is over by... I want to say like, you know, mid 1946, right? Like, you know, so it's it was not super, sh- super short. Yeah. It's basically like, you know, a year, maybe a little less. Right. But it, it's, it's a year when, you know, you have to remember there's, there's about 12 million um, men in uniform, right. You know, uh, Americans in uniform and they're all coming back from World War II at, a, at a, basically the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the clothing industry had been, you know, obviously geared towards, you know, the war effort. Right. So, there, you know, there were plans being made to like kind of for this readjustment, right? For, you know, we need to have more civilian clothing, but, you know, basically the demand outstripped, um, you know, the supply. And it's kind of like as simple as that. Um, I mean, there's a little bit more to it. I'm, I'm working on something that's going to, you know, with a good friend of mine that will kind of uh, dive a little bit more into that research. But um, I mean, that that's kind of the broad strokes on it, right? It's this very, very brief window when you know GIs um, are coming home and they just can't get any clothes, right? Specifically, a white shirt. Like a white shirt is kind of talked about a lot in um, newspaper reporting on it. Uh, uh-huh. Bob Hope has like a little, you know, a little quip about it. Um, you know, kind of is totally in the mainstream. There's you know shirtless protests happening in, in cities. You know, like wow, <laughs> see that's yeah. wild. That's like not. I don't know. I mean, this this sure it's like it's not like people are starving, but still, it's like I don't know. That's significant. If there are a bunch of people in 1944, 1945 walking around without their shirts on in public in America, huh? <laughs> yeah, and so it kind of like led to um this. You know, it led to kind of, you know, some returning servicemen kind of turning to their old uniforms and making adjustments to them and changing them to kind of, you know, make them more geared towards civilian life. So, you know, I think you also have to think of, you know, the psychological reasons behind it, right? So, you know, when you were discharged from the service, you basically could wear your uniform officially for 30 days, right? That was kind of the the, the law. It wasn't enforced, but that was kind of the the idea, right? Is, you know, you had 30 days to get some get some clothes. Right. Um, but, you know, it's like, you know, some of these some of these people had been in uniform for, you know, three, three years. Right. And, you know, the, the last thing they want to do is continue to wear the same thing. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, unlike today, it's, you know, this is not a professional army where it's like, you know, this is people's careers. Right. These are people, you know, kind of stopped their life, you know, either were drafted or volunteered. And, you know, we're basically you know, forced into a very rigid structure that they didn't really want to be part of. Um, and, you know, that, has, that doesn't say anything about, you know, if they were happy to do it or not, right? It's, it's nothing about the politics of it. It's just a fact that, you know, we're all individuals and we usually don't want to be put into a box where that individuality is like rubbed out, right? So, 
the last thing you want to do when you return home is just continue to wear the same olive drab stuff that you've been wearing for three years. Right, right. <laughs> You're trying to break the uniform. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is like, I don't know, I guess it's only natural. Um, another quote that I pull from that piece uh, from Bard's Emily Post, which I, which I think is really nice. Bard's Emily Post in 1946 wrote, quote, there is no need for buying your clothes at Brooks Brothers since the garments you slept in while serving your country are adequate. Uh, that, that seems pretty mean at the least. <laughs> pretty not uh, empathetic. And so this, I mean, a little bit like the clothing shortage, it runs counter to the, I don't know, the status quo, the common knowledge about that period of time. So I'm amazed that someone would put that kind of thing in writing in 1946. Like, what do you mean? These guys just fucking like a lot of them just died. <laughs> and yeah, so what yeah. does it matter what they are wearing, right? Yeah, to, to, I totally get Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, um, for sure. I mean, this was really important. This quote for me was really important because I went to Bard. Um, so this was kind oh, of like... Oh, nice! Some, some, like, <laughs> some research that was, like, very close to home for me and, you know, very important for my, uh, <laughs> for my research. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've mulled over, you know, this quote, of, you know, a lot. And, you know, I'm trying to, like, you know... Again, this is a college newspaper, right? I think that's, like, a really important thing to, like, kind of, like say from the jump, right? So, you know, I don't know if any of you guys worked on college newspapers, I did, you know, like the editing process is not exactly, um, you know, rigorous sometimes, right. you know? Yeah. And so like, I, I've kind of, you know, I've kind of read the sense it's like, is she saying like the garments you slept in while serving your country, meaning like you didn't do anything but sleep while you were in the army? Or is she saying it like the clothes that you just slept in, that you woke up in, and that happened to be the clothes you wore while you were in the army. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't tell if, it, if it's more of a comment about just like the state of the clothes and kind of the, the slovenliness of the student today, or if it's kind of this more like, you know, oh, you didn't do anything overseas type comment. I, I, I don't really know where I, I kind of land on kind of the side of saying like, you know, this is more of a reflection on kind of the slovenliness of the, of the male student that she's uh -huh. saying. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope that kind of answers your question. <laughs> yeah, well, but that's what I, I'm saying. I think, like, though... is, it a, is, it a, is it satirical? Because, like, that is actually very funny. Like, you piece of shit, like, at Okinawa, what are you doing, you know? Lazy bum. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I mean the, the whole piece, like, the piece in whole, which I, I think, you know, I sent over to you guys, um, you know, before you can kind of read it, you know, it definitely has a satirical, like, you know, tilt to it right you know i think it's you know but i think it's you know it's also a um reflection of this kind of broader you know kind of culture war uh, to use like a you know a modern parlance that was kind of like bubbling up at the time too between mostly like you know so during the war years right you know there's not a lot of men going to college right there are women continue to go to college obviously um so the freshman classes who are coming in you know, they're basically made up of, you know, fresh faced, like 18 year old, you know, boys and girls who just graduated from high school, alongside a bunch of, you know, slightly older men who were just overseas, right? So 
there kind of is this kind of weird culture clash that you see pop up in a lot of college newspapers, a lot of college yearbooks from 1946, 1947, where, you know, the younger students are kind of saying like, this isn't the college experience that I signed up for because none of these older veterans are like willing to like kind of play the games the way we want to play them. You know, like they're not going to wear a dunce cap, right? They're not going to get hazed to join a fraternity. They're not going to, you know, take kindly to having to wait in line at the registrar's office, you know, for two hours to sign up for classes. And kind of just like, you know, they're not going to go to pep rallies. Like these kind of more like raw, raw collegiate type things that we would think about, you know, with like, I don't know, like a Doris Day movie, like on college campus kind Mm -hmm. of thing. That's not really these guys at speed, right? You know, a lot of these veterans who are going to school, they are really, they're seeing this as, you know, basically a, a way to a more financially lucrative future, you know, to, a, to really securing their place in the middle class. And a lot of them are already married and, you know, they, they might be coming to school with kids, right? So it kind of, you know, led to kind of, a, you know, a little bit of a strange environment on college campuses where there was a little bit of a, of a push and pull there. Yeah, it sounds a little strained. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's some interesting, you know, news reports, too, from, like, the 1960s, where it kind of talks about, like, Vietnam vets, like, going to college after, you know, their tour of duty. And it just kind of basically, them just kind of melting into the populace of, you know, of universities and not, you know, trying to stand out in any way. And, you know, this is quite the opposite in 1945, 1946, um, where, you know, the, the veterans are forming, you know, very, you know, very tight cliques and are very, you know, they're, I mean, back to like kind of our subject at hand, they're wearing the clothes that they just wore, you know, like there's some great photos of guys, you know, wearing their A2 bomber jackets that have, you know, that like quite literally have the number of missions they flew painted on them or, you know, the number of, of planes shot down, you know, inscribed on these leather jackets. You know, these guys aren't, you know, they're not your typical freshman college students. No, yeah. and the, the pictures in that article that you found are awesome as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Connor and I, when we were uh, kind of preparing for this, like talked a little bit about how a lot of returning vets like started the motorcycle club uh, lifestyle. And like, you know, just just hearing the fact that they were they were just kind of like, keeping to themselves through your research, like, I don't know, it just redefines that. Like, they were they were wearing the shit that they had because they had a, a hard time, like, adjusting to normal life after that. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I don't know how far I would go with, like, the argument, kind of just, like, off, you know, off my cuff. Um, right. But, you know, I do think that there, you know, there's definitely something to that, and you know, something I came across again and again in my in my research was kind of this strained relationship between the kind of, you know, the, the younger classmates and their older peers um, right. and kind of coming across just like in this Emily Post, you know, the Bard's Emily Post column, you know, very much like that, right? Like really kind of just like complaining about the state of, uh, of veterans on campus, you know, right. kind of how, how annoying they are. <laughs> So that kind of leads into something else we noticed um, in your your research was talking about uh, soldiers modifying their uniforms to like adapt back. Um, mm. Like, what what kind of like 
uh, first of all, I guess, how did you find this info? And can you share some examples of what, you know, what was regarded as uh, something they should do? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I probably heard it for the first time, you know, kind of with the guys who, who I reenact with, we do, uh, we do hundredth infantry division, um, us. Um, and, you know, we've done a lot of, um, we, we knew a lot of the veterans. We still do know a lot of the veterans. Unfortunately, there's not as many of them as, uh, there once was. And we've done a lot of interviews, um, with them. And I think the first time I kind of heard of like dying, you know, a piece of uniform after the war to wear was in one of these interviews. Um, and it kind of was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I kind of stuck in the back of the head. And then over the years, you know, I, I've kind of seen here and there, like, you know, on eBay or just like at the flea market, you know, a, a dyed, like, you know, hike jacket, a dyed, you know, wool shirt. And then I think what really like cracked it open for me was when I was working on, on this thesis research and I found an article from the Columbia Spectator, so the Columbia University daily newspaper, and that mentioned it in an article. Basically, you know, this, this kind of really rich article about kind of how you can modify your, you know, your, your military uh, duds um, to, um, nice. you know, kind of, yeah, just look at a there. Right? Um, Thank you. Yeah. You're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just trying to stay on message. Um, but uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, change, you know, these military duds into the kind of more acceptable versions of uh, civilian clothing, right? Um, and like, you know, one of the, 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 one of the key ways is, you know, dyeing your stuff, right? And it kind of like lays out kind of like what colors make sense for what. Um, and, you know, then, you know, again, like through just like kind of more digging and digging, you know, you see, you know, newspaper um, advertisements for, you know, uh, professional dry cleaners or laundries offering their services to dye your uniform, you know, saying like, we will dye, you know, we'll dye your old uniforms. These are the colors you can choose from, like, you know, come on by and drop them off. So that's kind of like where that, like, you know, how I, that the journey of that research. Right. And, and there's more on that to come, um, which I'm kind of excited about, which hopefully in the next year, I'll have something more to, sh to share with you again, doing some research with a, a close friend of mine on this. Um, but yeah, so that was a big thing was just like, yeah, so your wool pants, your wool shirt, dye those things like blue or like bottle green. So like kind of like, you know, that like rich Heineken, you know, glass green um, is a big one. Uh, you know, it's like take kind of the brass buttons off your, you know, officer's Navy coat, you know, and add, you know, kind of more subdued buttons to make it kind of more into like a double breasted coat. Yeah, you know, these are these kind of like little hacks. I mean, you see, you know, um, you know, the the overcoats, you know, turned into single breasted, you know, right. instead of double. You know, it's kind of, again these kind of like little things that you can do just to tweak them just a little bit um, to make them kind of more in line with uh, the fashion of the day instead of uh, the uniform. You know. Sure. Yeah. I mean. So the next question that I have is about your uh, research ability, research prowess, what have you. Um, yeah, sure. It is excellent. It's really good. I mean, the work that you do is awesome. That article where you found the shirt and you found the guy, like, oh, holy thank you. Shit. Yeah, like that. Yeah, that that's extremely cool and very good. Uh, I, was, I mean, something that didn't make it into that article is that I found a guy who had more of his shirts and a oh, jacket. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> which was really like like quite amazing that I found another collector who had posted about this guy's stuff. Um, 
And uh, so that was kind of, you know, yeah, I kind of found that kind of right as I was publishing and I was like, oh, that's really cool. I don't really know how to work it in, but it's cool that I found that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot. Like, what uh, your process like? Do you have any tips for anyone, you know? Yeah, I mean, I promise I'm not like, you know, feigning humility here, but like, it, it is really not that hard. Um, yeah. I'd say like, the the number one thing that's like it's gonna sound so silly is like when you're searching on google when you're searching anywhere use quotation marks yeah like that's like well, number that's like you know research 101 is like right. use quotation marks um some boolean boolean search operators <laughs> so um but you know yeah i mean it, it just you know honestly it just takes a long time of just like trying to like figure it out and like just plugging away at it. It's like so second nature for me at this point. It is kind of hard to like, kind of like talk through the process. I mean, you know, I always start with, um, you know, if I get, you know, an article of clothing that I want to like find something out about it, right? Like, you know, turn all the pockets inside out, you know, like see if there's like anything anywhere that has any kind of identification on any it. Any clues? Yeah, exactly. Like I actually, you know, I found this like really neat um, modified, um, like, you know, reversible, uh, like, ski parka, right? So, like, these U.S. Army, you know, attributed mostly to the 10th Mountain Division, these, you know, these reversible ski parkas, right, with, like, a, a fur hood. And, you know, someone had taken it and added um, basically, like, embroidered ribbon work all over the white side and then had cut it in half and added a full zip. So it went from being a, a smock pullover to, like, being a full zip jacket right and i was like man this is so weird and interesting on this but you know it's just good to have you know and i got it and i just like turned the pockets inside out and the woman had stitched her name into the inside ah. you know and like from there you know i got you know i found her obituary you know and then from there you know was able to just like you know dig a little bit more dig a little bit more and you know was able to find a lot that way honestly um, so looking is good and looking specifically and carefully is good <laughs> yeah and then the other thing i'd say too is like you know like not every garment needs to be fully researched you know like no i guess like i think mostly in like the vintage military like world sometimes you know, you can get the you know people are like oh like this garment this garment has so much history to it like there's so much going on here and it's like you know it probably just sat in the bottom of a bag for 50 years and mm -hmm. then someone pulled it out and it got donated to Salvation Army and that's the history you know and like that you know right. that, that's fine you know but like it's just I, I think sometimes you know we can ascribe like too much meaning to some of these garments you know or like oh like you see that stain like that could be that could be blood like it's never blood it's rust it's never blood you know like right. anything that got anything that got blood on it that thing got thrown away you know like just it, you know in a military context you know like that that stuff was never getting back home right um so i i think sometimes you know we can ascribe too much and it's like you know if all the clues are there then go for it right like i really lucked out with that shirt it had the name tape on it it had the unit patch on it like with a unit patch and a name tape like you're in business right like you can you can find anything you know and like even like with world war ii stuff right you know if it has a laundry number on it you can maybe you can maybe get there right so the laundry number in like the the u.s army right it would be your last initial followed by the last four 
of your uh, serial number, right? Mm. And if you just like, I, you can find it. There's there's a um, there's like a website, basically a database. You can just like plug in the last four of a uh, of a serial number, and you can just see everybody else who had that. That you can see all of the the serial numbers, right? And you can just mm -hmm. see, you know, all right. Well, there's twelve people with a with the last letter M, and these last four serial numbers, right? Um, these last four digits, and you can try to narrow it down from there. Um, but again, it's like you know, the clothes are gonna are gonna guide you as far as it can go, you know. Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I I mean, I would maybe be curious about um those sites i guess like not in the moment but we can put them out for people uh because i'm sure yeah. people have people have stuff that have that have that have identifying information in them maybe they too want to find out who who the previous owner was yeah and like you know again like unfortunately in our world right it's like a lot of these things they're behind paywalls Right. Like, right. Right. You know, like I'm really lucky that, you know, I'm I'm connected to an institution, NYU, that, you know, allows me access to newspaper archives. Right. Um, or like, you know, there's these like ancestry. Oh, right. 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 So you can search obituaries and stuff. I see. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Or like, you know, Ancestry.com has this um, like the sister site called Fold3, which is all military records. Right. That they've digitized and they're digitizing. Uh -huh military records at an insanely, you know, fast pace. And they're doing it, you know, for the government, you know, you know, basically to digitize them for the government, right? But they're putting them behind this massive paywall that makes them incredibly hard to access. And like, you know, NYU as an institution, they don't even have access to it. You know, like I have who's to it, like- So who is it for then? It's for like independent researchers, you know, like oh, genealogy people. The... Yeah, it's for the you know, like, Fox News quarter buyer, <laughs> silver quarter buyers. Yeah, or like you know, like I you know I have friends that you know that have that have you know that have spent the money to like have access to that you know, and I'm able to like thankfully I'm able to you know borrow those credentials right. But you know, if not, it's like all right, I guess I got to pay five hundred dollars a year for this fold three you know thing right. I don't know if it's actually five hundred dollars a year, but it, it it's a lot, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a drag, um, and but you know, it, there's still ways out there. Um, you know, I encourage everybody to hit the archives. You know, like chances are you're close to a branch of the National Archives. Um, you know, the the most relevant ones for like finding people, you know, or the most relevant one would be the one in St. Louis. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and you can find researchers who can do work for you there that you know aren't incredibly expensive. You know, but um, you know, stuff is out there, man. You know, I'll keep on returning to that. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. So, uh, what what have you um, collected over the years? That your top three favorite things. So, like the top top three favorite things, like in my collection. You don't uh, necessarily need to have them. I will. Yeah, say, but I, I would honestly, I think three and three, like. Top three pieces overall and top three things that you own. Okay, sure. All right. No particular order. Um, I'll do for the things in my like in my closet. Um or in my my archive as I uh as I like to call it, or my nice. my giant Z rack um <laughs> that I right. have. Um so I, I got this um 
this World War II tanker jacket um, on Facebook Marketplace um, from this guy down in Texas. And it was his, I believe it was his stepfather's. And it came with, um, it came with a book that he was mentioned in uh, with his autograph on it. And he basically, he, you know, he was a Sherman tank commander in Normandy, um, was almost awarded, was almost, I mean, he was, he was awarded, I believe, the, the Silver Star um, for his actions during that campaign, um, one particular battle where he was, he was wounded quite badly. Um, and that was like a kind of a really cool piece of history to kind of get my hands on. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I, at first I was kind of into it just because it was a tanker jacket kind of before I knew the story on it, you know, um, but then it kind of, uh, the, uh, the story kind of overwhelmed it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way you can put a face to a name. Yeah. I mean, it was just such a unique like experience to like be able to take to, to, you know, buy this from a relative, um, and like, you know, really, you know, like that's the kind of thing it's like, unless I'm like not making rent, you know, like that's staying in the collection, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the two other things actually that I'm going to say are actually things that I no longer have in my collection that I, I've had since sold, um, which like I, I do quite a bit, um, not like, you know, on a professional level at all, but, you know, as just kind of a, as a side thing. Um, one of them is a, um, was a woman's dress made out of um, camouflage parachute nylon oh that's so cool so it was a um it was like very like very 1950s early 1960s style dress um made from that kind of very distinctive um camouflage um nylon material so a lot of people call it silk it's not silk it's nylon um and uh that that is quite quite a cool a cool thing to to grab and then oh man oh yeah and another thing was this was kind of like one of my first like really big scores you know, was I, I found a uh, a pair of um, unreinforced uh, 1942 uh, jump trousers nice. um, on Depop of all places um, for you know for very little basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that was a that was quite a cool find. Um, yeah, those are like the top three things I feel like that have been in my collection. Um, yeah. And what was the other question? I'm sorry. Oh, uh, just like what what's your kind of like top three designs uh, military wise that you've come across? Oh, sure. Um, come across. Kind of a loaded question. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fine. I mean, I'm very partial to um, it's not really my area of research so much, but um, British army um, combat smocks. So no. like kind of like the ones like from like the, the immediate post-war period, I mean, really, honestly, up until today, I, 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 I have most of them. Um, but there's just kind of something just like, you know, slightly more um, sartorial, one could say, um, than like the U.S. style of a um, of field jacket. You know, like the pockets are slanted. Yeah, just yeah certainly. It's way. like that. Yeah. I'm sorry, you cut out there. I didn't hear you. It's like dashing. I think yes. it's like yeah, very, yeah. it's very sort of sporting. Yeah. And like, you have that huge game pocket in the back too, you know, kind of like adding to like kind of the, <laughs> the sportingness of it all. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I just, you know, I also just love like British camos too. They DPM and MTP, you know, probably, you know, some of my top, top camos. Um, so very partial to that. Um, I think, I think the M51 field jacket is kind of like the unsung, you know, 
best field jacket. I would agree with um, you. Yeah, it kind of like, you know, the M43, obviously, it's very special uh, to me, but um, the M51 basically takes away kind of all of the things from the M43 that, uh, you know, were just not quite practical. Right. Like basically, you know, the open lapel, you know, like the, the, the collar that lays flat, like a, like a suit jacket, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, adds the zip to, you know, and just like kind of, you know, these are kind of little things. And then, you know, it doesn't also have the kind of awful design features of the M65, um, which I think is honestly, it's not a great jacket. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> What so do you hate kinda... about the M65? Yeah, why not? You know, you got it. If you say it, you got it. <laughs> I mean, I think just, you know, the, uh, the, the stand, like the stand-up collar with the hood is like just not very flattering. I mean, again, I'm talking from, you know, a uh, what looks good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I will say that like the cuffs, the cuffs make no make no damn sense okay you know like the kind of fold back velcro cuff right you know it's just like i those things are like always getting in the way they don't really make any sense it really should just be like a button cuff like the m51 you know or like i've seen a few modified like with like a woolly cuff you know like with like a right you know, a, ga a gathered wool you know uh, like a sock top yeah you know um yeah and um yeah. <laughs> so yeah, don't love the M65. And then as far as like, you know, uh, what else, man? That's two. Oh man, I might just need to call it with that, honestly. Okay. We'll um, that. Five things is a lot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, you know, yeah. I love HBT as much as the next guy, you know. But yeah. <laughs> one of the best fabrics, even though it's not the not the strongest for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean just, you know, the way, especially on, like, you know, on old HBT, you know, like, not, like, reproduction stuff, just the way the twill pops, you know, from the repeated washing, yeah, you know, totally. just, like, it looks great. It, it looks, does. It looks it so does. good. It and those things are so well. over, like, and it's one of these examples, too, of something that's, like, those jackets were so oversized that you can just, like, still find them so abundantly now in, like, most people's sizes, right? Like, right. you know. I'm like a, you know, I'm like a 43 regular and I can wear like a 38 in that like all day, you know? So, you know, it's one of those things that you can just still find quite a bit of. Yeah, so I, I guess uh, we can wrap up. We are going to ask the white whale question, which I think is a good one. Is there something that you are seeking all of the time? Um, that escapes you 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 don't have to reveal it if you don't want to reveal it to our listeners but you know it's, it's funny it's like you know a, a very good friend of mine um is uh is sean crowley of uh mm. of crowley vintage he's actually my my next door neighbor here in oh, Brooklyn. Nice. yeah mm. and um we talk about this kind of all the time which is kind of like you know you're not calling it grail culture but like you know it is kind of like you know the, the grails right and how just like it's just so not the way like we collect stuff, you know? Like it's just I don't know. I no no. I mean I, it's, something, it's kind of such something a hard that question you can't um, find. Like, is there something that you can't find? Like something that you're searching for all the time that you can't find in your size in the you color know, that you want? I mean, honestly, no. Because like you know, I, I guess I kind of just see myself as you know, as, in the collecting world, like you know, a fisherman, you know whatever's mm -hmm. in the catch you know of the day that's the catch of the day 
you know? And like, you know, if it's out there, it's out there. If it's not, it's not. And I know it's kind of a shitty answer. Um, no, I don't think so at all. I mean, so no, can no. I ask you, what do you wear on a daily basis that is surplus, that is military? I mean, I basically wear like one thing of military basically every day. Um, Mm-hmm. which uh yeah like when i was actually when i was moving into this current apartment like i was like bringing up my my clothes onto the stoop and like someone like yelled at me from across the street and was like i really hope you were in the military because that's like way too much military stuff um, <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't even touch on the stolen valor question <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um what i wear mostly though is like you know i have um you know, I have like a few pairs of HBTs that like I, I cycle through quite a bit. Um, unlike a lot of other people kind of in this world, like I'm also very open to reproductions. I think that's because, you know, I come from a reenacting background. So, right. you know, I have like a few like, you know, a repro B10 that I love wearing. Um, you know, I wear an M51 a lot. Um, I have a great like, you know, uh, one of those. Uh, I wear like some modern stuff too, like like the British kind of the British military like down jacket that they issue now is like the warmest jacket I've ever owned. And it's just like, mm. go, you know, it's just a camel colored, you know, high loft down jacket that can like, you know, be packed into a ball. And it's, you know, I wear that thing like basically every day. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I, I dabble kind of, you know, all time periods. Um, probably the oldest thing I wear on like a, like a semi-regular basis or at least like would wear it out of the house no problem is i have like a um i have like a world war probably like early world war ii like hate belt that i'll Mm -hmm. sometimes wear so it's kind of like you know it's a um like a very thick leather belt with like different uh british um regiment cap badges uh pressed into them um and i'll wear that every once in a while oh that sounds awesome yeah, that's yeah. A good, that's a good one. It sounds like the it sounds like the archive is has some stuff in it, which I would not call Grail material as <laughs> per your request. But it sounds like <laughs> you have some nice shit, my friend. Yeah, yeah, and I, I can yeah, I can send you guys some pictures, and you can kind of see some of the stuff. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. We would be happy to we would be happy to post it if you were willing. Um, yeah, I mean, that would I'm be not. Awesome. I don't. I don't really care about like you know keeping things out of uh out of view um no right right you know yeah that's definitely just not my not my style um yeah i don't know you guys have anything else or is that kind of are we there uh, i think <laughs> i think we're there uh charles thank you for coming on um we always like to give the guests a chance to shout out whatever they want to shout out so have at it yeah um well you know you can follow my work um at combat threads uh on instagram um, and do and do follow yeah the work. yeah it, it's a, it's a great resource and good. just generally in, interesting if you're in the military thank you yeah i mean it's i would pretty... say it'd be interesting to a normal person oh a totally, non, totally. A, non-free, a non-freak person who is like obsessed <laughs> with camouflage you would be right. compelled by this shit because it's culture yeah and like that's totally like you know what i'm you know what i'm going for right and like that's like kind of like the the crossroads of my my research right it's like that popular culture in military uniforms and you know i'd say like you know yeah if you're like someone who's not like super into military stuff start with the uh the desert storm uh merch uh, articles you know like that's like a really weird one that like i spent a lot of time researching and you know i I think it's really interesting and just super weird um 
and yeah, so yeah, you can, you can follow my work there. It's on Substack to combat threads. Um, yeah, that, that's what I would plug. There we go. Awesome. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, we are at Apocalypse Studs on Instagram, apocalypsestuds at gmail.com. If you listen to this and enjoy it, uh, please rate us on Spotify so we can get whatever we can get. Connor knows that shit. I do not. Whatever, uh, they Charles... give, whatever award they give you, the little star they give you. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's get a star. Let's get a star. But Charles, thank you again uh, yeah. for coming on. And this was hella fun. This is um, great. Thank you so much. It's you know, yeah. Again, it's really nice to kind of step away from from thesis work to kind of just have a chat. <laughs> nice. Well, good luck to you on your thesis, sir. Thank you. Um, I am Matt Smith at Rebels Rogues on Instagram, and I'm Connor Fowler at Connor Fowler. And yeah, thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. <laughs>